The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta has partnered with 55 academic institutions to create a pipeline of the next generation of pilots and technicians. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, December 7th. In today's news, President Trump will nominate Heather Nauert as UN ambassador. William Barr appears to be his pick for AG, And the White House is about to open more land to drilling than any time in the past two years. But first, the big idea. An undocumented woman who works as a housekeeper at President Trump's golf course in Bedminster, New Jersey, told her story to The New York Times. Victorina Morales' journey from cultivating corn in rural Guatemala to fluffing pillows at an exclusive golf resort took her from the southwest border, where she said she crossed illegally in 1999, to the horse country of New Jersey, where she was hired at the Trump property in 2013 with documents she says were phony. She says she's not the only worker at the club who's in the country illegally. Sandra Diaz, 46, a native of Costa Rica, now a legal resident of the U.S., tells the Times that she too was undocumented when she worked at the course between 2010 and 2013. The two women say there are many more undocumented workers at Trump's club, and at least two supervisors there were aware of it and took steps to help them and other workers evade detection by the feds to keep their jobs. During the presidential campaign, when the Trump Hotel opened up in D.C., Trump himself boasted that he had used an electronic verification system, E-Verify, to ensure that only those legally entitled to work were hired at his clubs. He insisted and was adamant about this that, quote, He did not have a single illegal immigrant on the job. But throughout his campaign and his administration, Morales, who is 45, has been reporting for work every day at Bedminster, and she's still on the payroll. In an interview Thursday night with the Washington Post from her attorney's office, Morales said she has not been fired or heard from her employer since the publication of the Times article. Morales said she was scheduled to report to work on Friday, but did not plan to go and said she made the decision to come forward because of mistreatment by her direct supervisor at the golf resort, including what she describes as physical abuse on three occasions. Meanwhile, bigger picture, monthly border arrests reached a new high for the Trump presidency last month. During a month when the president's attention was fixated on caravan groups from Central America, large groups of parents with children crossed into southern Arizona and the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas with much less fanfare. U.S. Customs and Border Protection detained more than 25,000 members of family units in November, the highest number ever recorded, as well as more than 5,200 unaccompanied minors. Combined, these two groups account for nearly 60% of all border arrests in the past month. A growing number of immigrants facing deportation argue that they will face grave danger if forced to return to their home countries, putting increasing pressure on a strained legal asylum system. Here's one story. In a shaky voice, Santos Chirino described the MS-13 gang attack that had nearly killed him, his decision to testify against the assailants in a Northern Virginia courtroom, and the threats that came next. Chirino, a married father of two teenagers, told the judge, I'm sure they are going to kill me. The judge believed Chirino was afraid to return to Honduras, but he ruled that he wasn't eligible to stay in the United States. Nearly a year after he was deported, Santos's 18-year-old daughter and 19-year-old son arrived in the same Arlington immigration courtroom for their own asylum hearing. They were accompanied by their father's lawyer. 
He noted that he had lost the previous case and Santos was murdered in April. A decade ago, one in 100 border crossers were seeking asylum or humanitarian relief. Now it's one in three. The intensifying caseload, nearly 120,000 asylum cases filed last year alone, four times the number in 2014, has upped the pressure on one of America's most secretive and controversial court systems. Judges tell our Maria Sacchetti that they must handle what are essentially death penalty cases in a traffic court setting with inadequate budgets and grueling caseloads. The Trump administration has imposed production quotas and ordered judges to close cases more quickly, and they've been told that they must enforce a stricter view on who deserves protection in the United States. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Pearl Harbor Day. Number one, Trump intends to nominate State Department spokeswoman Heather Nauert to replace Nikki Haley as the UN ambassador. If confirmed by the Senate, the nomination would elevate a foreign policy novice into the top echelons of U.S. diplomacy as the Trump administration ramps up pressure against Iran and demands that allies take on more responsibility for their own security. Nauert joined the State Department last year with no government experience after a career as an anchor on Fox and Friends and a correspondent for Fox News. In her new role, Nauert would be responsible for maintaining international support for economic sanctions against North Korea and continuing the Trump administration's unflinching support for Israel in the face of mounting scrutiny at the UN. Nauert, who left Fox in April 2017, earned a reputation as a steadfast defender of the president, even through the turbulent tenure of Trump's first secretary of state, Rex Tillerson. She and the Texas oil man never established a close working relationship. That's why she didn't accompany him on overseas trips or even participate in his meetings with foreign leaders. Aides confided that it was largely because he considered her a White House loyalist with particularly close ties to Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. But after Tillerson got fired via tweet and Mike Pompeo took charge at Foggy Bottom, now it became part of the inner circle. She met regularly with the new secretary and often traveled with Pompeo on trips abroad. He also promoted her to Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs, a job vacated by Steve Goldstein, who was fired the same day as Tillerson. Speaking of someone with little relevant experience being elevated to a top position in the American government, the Senate last night narrowly confirmed Trump's pick to lead the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The chamber voted 50 to 49, entirely along party lines, in favor of Kathy Kraninger's nomination. She will replace the Bureau's acting director, Mick Mulvaney, who's also the White House budget chief and her current boss. Kraninger's nomination took much of Washington by surprise. She has no experience in consumer finance, but will now become one of the country's most powerful banking regulators. Number two, former Attorney General William Barr is Trump's leading candidate to take over the Justice Department. The 68-year-old is a well-respected Republican lawyer who previously held the AG job from 1991 to 1993 under President George H.W. Bush, who, by the way, was buried last night in Texas. Barr has emerged as a favorite among a number of Trump administration officials, including senior lawyers in the White House Counsel's Office. Barr's past statements about the Russia probe, in which he has questioned the political tilt of Bob Mueller's team, could give some Democrats fodder to attack his nomination. But several Republican operatives who support Barr for the position note that he once worked alongside Mueller in the Justice Department and say his track record from the Bush years should ease Democratic concerns who worry that the Justice Department has seen its independence eroded in the Trump era. Barr penned an op-ed, though, for The Post last year, defending Trump's decision to fire Jim Comey as FBI director. He has also previously said that 
Clinton, Hillary that is, should face more scrutiny from federal investigators, not less. Number three, the EPA is reversing a rule requiring that new U.S. coal plants install technology to capture their carbon dioxide emissions. Acting EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler said at an afternoon news conference yesterday that the Obama administration's rule, which effectively required new coal plants to have costly carbon capture equipment in order to open, was disingenuous because the cost of the technology made new coal plants infeasible. The administration also plans to roll back protections for the sage-grouse in order to expand drilling and mining activities. In one stroke, this action would open more land to drilling than any other step this administration has taken. It drew immediate criticism from environmentalists, while energy industry representatives praised the move, saying that the earlier policy represented an overreach of federal authority. In reducing protections for the sage-grouse, which has been a candidate for endangered species protection in the past and has habitat in 10 oil-rich western states, the government would be freeing up land that oil and gas companies have long tried to access. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, December 7th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you on Monday. The Washington Post has a new daily podcast, Post Reports, hosted by me, Martine Powers. Every weekday afternoon, we're bringing you stories about the state of the country, the world, and how we come to know the things we know. Get it now at WashingtonPost.com slash Post Reports.